0: Is running out. This message is paid for by Lines for Fair and Equitable Policy.
1: The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management.
2: Welcome to the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM.
1: Hey, good afternoon. Uh, Good afternoon, that is, to everyone except Oakville Mayor Rob Burton. Did you hear about this? Rob Burton has created uh, new segregation laws in Oakville. If you're unvaccinated, you won't be able to enter City Hall. Segregationist Mayor Rob Burton. This is a, well, it's morally reprehensible, of course. Uh, This is your legacy, Mayor Burton. A hundred years from now, when you're nothing but a footnote in history, the footnote will make mention of what you've done. This is your legacy. Wear it well. These are taxpayers you're banning from City Hall. Is that even legal? And while we're on the subject, uh, if the unvaccinated or people who are vaccinated but still have a moral compass, if, if they can't access, let's say, indoor sporting facilities that are run by the municipalities like skating rinks, why are they still paying taxes? Call your mayor, call your city councilor and ask them that. Maybe demand a refund. But wait, you see, the, the vaccine mandate cult, and that's what this is, this is a cult. These cultists are just getting started. Quebec is preparing to ban unvaccinated hospital visitors. And that's just one step from banning the unvaccinated to hospitals, period. Hospital admissions. No vax passport, no hospital admission. You don't think that could happen? Why wouldn't they do that? We already have vaccine cultists who happen to be doctors demanding this. You see them on social media all the time. NDP vaccine mandate cultist Rachel Notley out in Alberta wants mobile vaccine SWAT teams going door-to-door in Alberta just to talk to people, of course, just to talk people into getting a vaccine. Do you see where this is headed? Some of you do. Some of you like it. Except when the cult demands you receive two or three jabs a year. How will you like it then? Did you sign up for that? Where does it end? And who could have thought, who would have thought the only people who seem to understand the science, the only people who are talking sense about COVID vaccines are professional basketball players and the ranks of the uh, vaccine hesitant in the NBA keeps growing. David Freyheit, popular YouTuber under the name Viva Fry, and a former People's Party candidate in the recent federal election, will be here this hour to discuss. Uh, that story I mentioned earlier, hospitals in Quebec and elsewhere demanding a Vax passport for hospital uh, visitors and perhaps soon hospital admissions. And we'll also talk about recent revelations Uh, That Canada's military leaders saw the pandemic as a unique opportunity, excuse me, to uh, test propaganda techniques on Canadians. Propaganda. That's another word for brainwashing. Well, of course they did. Isn't that what cults do? They brainwash. Uh, Speaking of brainwashing, uh, have you had enough of the public education system yet? Now might be a good time to to seriously consider homeschooling your children. And if anyone is going to brainwash your children, it should be you, right? Uh, Ruth Gaskowski is our homeschooling advisor, and she's here to talk about homeschooling in the middle years, elementary school years, and the importance of memory work. Do you remember memory work? Do Do you remember memory work? They don't do that anymore. We used to have to memorize you know, long passages and in, in, uh, poems by Robert Frost and things like that. It's important, and she'll tell you why. Uh, Belinda Karahalios, the new blue MPP for Cambridge, is a woman of color. And she says that vaccine passports and vaccine mandates are a form of systemic racism. I think it's an interesting argument. Vaccine passports and mandates are certainly immoral. They're unethical, probably illegal if we actually had a charter of rights and freedoms. And it's increasingly clear (laughs) our charter is a complete sham. It's been chewed up and spat out in our faces by a a generation of radical progressive judges in this country. So anyway, she'll be here in hour two uh, to explain why she believes Vaccine mandates and vaccine passports are a form of systemic racism. I'm normally very skeptical about that term. Systemic racism. Generally, it's overused. In most cases, it doesn't apply. But in this case, I don't know, given that people of color have been, I think, disproportionately hurt by uh, not COVID itself, but by misguided and immoral overreach. They were hurt by lockdowns. They're being hurt by vaccine passports. Immigrants and people of color. According to uh, the data, make up about 25 percent of the vaccine hesitant. You know, those people, as our racist crime minister refers to them. it's, It's now impossible for me to have any respect or regard for anyone who supports our crime minister. It really is. But again, I have to remind myself, we're talking about a cult. These people are too far gone. You can't reach them. Uh, The radical left wing progressive Ford government has also officially killed Belinda's private members bill, ensuring uh, transparency and integrity in uh, political party elections. And we'll discuss that as well. You know, there, there is nothing to stop a political party from stuffing ballot boxes or from cheating. So you pay for a party membership thinking you get to vote for the leader or the party executive and you assume you assume it's fair, right? There are no laws. It's literally the Wild West. And apparently the radical left wing progressive party under Doug Ford likes it that way. Uh, Yesterday, I played a couple of uh, audio clips. They were quite long, admittedly. (laughs) I know it's not fashionable to play long, involved audio clips on the radio, You know, I had program directors that used to say, keep them under 30 seconds. Listeners don't have that long of an attention span. Uh, Anyway, I I play long clips because they're important. And um, anyway, I played a couple of long clips from two individuals who spoke during an open session before the FDA's advisory public hearing session. Back on September 17th, one was an ER doctor from New Orleans. The other was a Silicon Valley tech entrepreneur who started something called COVID-19 Early Treatment Fund. And he says repurposed drugs are the fastest and cheapest way to end the pandemic. And during the clip, he mentioned in his testimony that based on the statistical data, vaccines are killing more people than saving, which is, you know, that's pretty inflammatory. Is it true? I don't know. Does the data support that? I don't know. So I thought I should ask somebody I trust a doctor I trust. And that would be board certified, Dr. Peter McCullough. And he'll be here to discuss towards the tail end of the program. All right, let's get the irascible but lovable one in here. Hey, Lou, how are you?
3: Fantastic, Richard. Thanks for having me on. It's always good.
1: You know, yesterday we were talking about that crypto trading hamster that outperformed Warren Buffett and yes, he 500. It, it got me to thinking. And, uh, You know, how many other animals have outperformed, you know, the markets and the professionals? And I found this one. It was was a six-year-old chimpanzee named Raven, became the 22nd most successful money manager in the U.S. after choosing her stocks by throwing darts at a list of 133 internet companies. The chimp created her own index dubbed Monkey Dex, and in 1999 delivered uh, let me see. What was it here? A 213% gain, outperforming more than 6,000 professional brokers on Wall Street. So there you go. The bottom line monkeys.
3: Ungawa cheetah. Ongawa. Hey, listen, you know, you got to go with performance. However, I will say in a historical context, okay, uh, anything would have worked in 1999 with the tech boom and everything else. It was the real tale of the tape was where was your portfolio uh, by the fall of 2000? Because Uh. the Nasdaq blew up spectacularly. So buying is the easy part. Selling is the important part. When do you get out?
1: Well, I got another one here for you. It's a um, it was a, another monkey, a Brazilian cinnamon, a Brazilian cinnamon ringtail Cebus monkey picked stocks by circling them in the newspaper with a red pen, outperformed the index four years in a row from 2003 to 2006. He did it again in 2008 with a portfolio that only lost 14% while most monkey ma- sorry money managers <laughs> <laughs> most money managers were losing upwards of 35%. So he who loses least wins I guess in this case. Yeah,
3: I mean, listen, markets go up and markets go down. It depends on your term of your investment and your risk tolerance. So if you look at your investor profile and, you know, you notice that you, you know, you're, you know, got a lot of hair on your back and so on, you might just be, you know, uh, you know, open to the possibility of managing other people's money. (laughs)
1: <laughs> right. I'm going to go ask my Brazilian cinnamon ringtail cebis whether I should go all in on precious metals.
3: Well, good luck with that. You know, um, you, I know you have exposure to it because you like it. You right. like the You like the metals. But, you know, yeah. all in that gets risky.
1: Yeah, no, it's true. I was just that was just for the purposes of the joke. That's all. I wouldn't go. Oh,
3: oh you're laughing about your money. Here, yeah. open your wallet. We'll have a good laugh.
1: <laughs> you got that right. <laughs> we will have a good laugh. Can you say mothballs? <laughs> Can you say traffic on the fives? Because I'm committed. All right. I know you are. Guys, come
3: in. Capitalism.
1: A little heroes and villains when we come back.
2: We're back as The Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk, Saga 9:60 a.m. Die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Heroes and
1: villains. All right. So I was mentioning earlier in my uh, monologue how it seems like the only people that seem to be talking sense these days regarding vaccines are NBA stars. So have a listen to this. This is uh, now I, I don't follow basketball. My two sons are crazy. About basketball, they know all the players, they know all the stats. Uh, but this is a um, a young man who plays with the Orlando Magic, Jonathan Isaac. Do you follow basketball, Jake, Jacob, or uh, Brandon? Is this is, is this a would he be a, considered a star? I don't know. Is he a great player? Doesn't matter really. He's in the NBA. He must be great, right?
0: Anyway, I don't know anything about Jonathan Isaac. That's the point. is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.
1: These comments, I can tell you what, I like them. I like them a lot, and uh, he's today's hero. Let's have a listen.
4: Jonathan, Josh Robbins with The Athletic. Uh, What is it about the vaccine that that makes you hesitant to to get it? Uh, I I would start with, um, I've had COVID in the past, and so our, our understanding of antibodies, of natural immunity has, uh, uh changed a, a great deal from the onset of the pandemic and it's still evolving. I understand that the vaccine would, uh, um, help if you, if you catch COVID and, uh, you'll be able to have less symptoms, um, from contracting it. But with me having COVID in the past and having antibodies, um, with my current, um, age group and, a uh, uh, fitness, physical fitness level, um, it's not necessarily a fear of mine, uh, taking the vaccine, um, like I said, it would decrease my chances of uh, uh, having a re- severe reaction, but it does open me up to the, albeit rare chance, but the possibility of having an adverse reaction to the vaccine itself. I don't believe that being unvaccinated means infected or being vaccinated means um, uninfected. You can still catch COVID with or without not having the vaccine. I would say, honestly, the, the, the craziness of it all in terms of not being able to say that it should be everybody's fair choice without being demeaned or, um, talked crazy to, doesn't, uh, make one comfortable to do what said person is, uh, telling them to do. Um, yeah, I I would say that's, that's a couple of the reasons that, um, you know, I would say I'm hesitant at this time, but at the end of the day, uh, I don't feel that it is, um, you know, anyone's reason to come out and say, well, this is why, or this is not why it should just be their decision. And, um, you know, loving your neighbors, not just loving those that, that agree with you or look like you or are uh, moving the same way that you do. It's it's, uh, uh, you know, loving those who don't. Wow.
1: Can you imagine if we had public health officials or so-called elected representatives in this country that spoke to us that way? I would imagine that would go a long way to removing a lot of vaccine hesitancy. Possibly. I don't know that for sure. Uh, But he makes a lot of sense. Did he say anything there that was wrong? No. No. All very sound and
0: reasonable. Science. Coming from an NBA star. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing?
1: All right. So Jonathan Isaac of uh, the Orlando Magic is our hero. I've got two villains. Both, coincidentally or not, leaders of their respective provincial NDP uh, organizations. Let's start with Alberta's NDP, former premier, failed premier, Rachel Notley to get more
5: Albertans vaccinated, our
1: caucus is
5: proposing basically three actions. First, the government should continue to closely examine the AHS data on who it is that isn't getting vaccinated and where they live. And this should be done alongside detailed polling detailed focus group work to understand exactly why the folks in that group of unvaccinated folks still haven't gotten their shots yet. Our second call is for a grant program for community groups who can partner with AHS and bring a trusted local voice into these conversations. Mary Chu and others have had incredibly great success with this model here in Northeast Calgary. Now, last year, The government spent $14.8 million on vaccine promotion and communications, but so far this year, they appear to have only spent about five and a half million. What we're proposing is that that budget essentially be tripled to approximately $45 million. And this will help fund our third and perhaps most critical call. And that's for the government to use the research and the community partnerships to overcome barriers on a case by case basis and then literally commence going door to door, having conversations and offering Alberta vaccines right there on people's doorsteps there's something to be said for finding out what's on the mind of that last uh 28% of eligible Albertans who are not getting a vaccine because i absolutely okay. believe that it's not uniform and the the iconic uh, uh picture that we have of someone who hasn't gotten their vaccine being someone that you know is more likely to be in the media right now i don't think is an accurate reflection of the majority of folks who have not yet Gotten their vaccine.
1: And so it's incumbent. All right. There. Yeah, well let's just stop it there. It's running a little longer than I had imagined. Uh so I don't have time to play uh Andrea Horfath's clip, but maybe a little bit later. So there you go. Coming door to door in Alberta. Oh, just to talk. Right, just to talk. That's her scheme. This woman is a grifter. But this is where we're headed, folks door-to-door vaccine units in Alberta. And uh, she wants to understand the hesitancy. She wants to understand why people are hesitant. Oh, I suppose that's good. Maybe you should have asked people a long time ago. All right. uh, When we come back, Quebec has announced vaccine passports will be required for all hospital visitors. Is it only a matter of time before vax passports will be required for all Hospital admissions. David Fryheit, aka Viva Fry will be here with that story next.
2: Let's get back at it on New Stock Saga 960 a.m. It's the Richard Sarah Show.
6: All right, well
1: the hits just keep on coming. Uh, Quebecers who want to visit patients in hospitals will be required to show proof of vaccination to enter the institutions. Health Minister Christian Dubé announced today and uh, someone who actually predicted this.
0: Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing?
1: David Fryheit, aka Viva Fry, very popular YouTuber, former PPC candidate in uh, the Montreal riding of Notre Dame de Grace Westmount. David, how are you? Welcome. Thank you very much. How are you doing, Richard? I'm well, thank you. Under the circumstances, I guess we always have to offer that caveat these days, as well as can be expected. Um, mm-hmm. You were saying that, you you know, you predicted this, but it wasn't rocket science. Like, you know, it is pretty obvious that this is thing. this is where things are heading. But you, you're going one step further and you're saying what's coming next? It, it,
7: look, when, when they pred- when they said from the beginning that the vaccine passport was only going to apply to non-essential services, it only stood to reason that if it's such a serious risk that they have to prevent the unvaccinated from going to a coffee shop or a gym, then it's all the more to be expected that you want to keep them out of you know, facilities where it's really, really risky to have them in. And that's it's just a matter of time before it becomes healthcare systems, uh, you know, dentistry offices. And, and they went there quickly. I mean, at first it was just coffee shops, gyms. Then it became federal employment. Then it became pretty much everywhere, anywhere across the country. And now they're saying in order to visit someone in the hospital, this is out of Quebec, and I suspect it's the same elsewhere, uh, you need to be vaccinated, but they'll they'll grant you exceptions for deathbed visits. I mean, this is the torturous logic that the government is imposing. The chip chipping away at everything that they said was going to be the case from the beginning to get you to go along with it. And uh, my prediction, again, it's only a matter of time before it's going to apply to non-elective surgeries, non-essential surgeries, non-essential admissions to the hospitals. And then it's just going to end up being applying to uh, essential stuff they're just going to build secondary hospitals and for what for what is now 18 percent of the population that chooses not to get vaccinated or can't get vaccinated um when we know now that the vaccinated can still spread and contract and hold you know from what we know now none of it makes any sense this um it's predictable because it's illogical and the government has been wrong pretty much at every step of the way from the beginning so it's not hard to predict that they're going to be wrong now again That's so true. If they zig, we have to zag. Uh, If they say the sky is blue, you you better
1: take a good look out the window and make sure. Um, So under this scheme. Vax passports required for all hospital visitors, if if my wife was expecting she's in hospital about to have a baby
7: and I were unvaxxed, I couldn't go I couldn't be there for the birth. Richard, it's, that that has been the case in Quebec for a while now. That had nothing to do with vaccination or not because of COVID. Uh, and I know pregnant women now, their husbands have not been allowed to go in to get the, uh, to participate with the, uh, geez, it's been a while now. I forget what it's called. The thing that they put over your belly, the ultrasound. The right. Fathers <laughs> have been deprived from every step of the way, right until uh, delivery, including delivery, which is why a lot of people have been looking to do, uh, you know, out of hospital birthing. It, it has been that way for a while, but now, to visit someone in the hospital. And it only made sense from the beginning, because if they're that much of a risk that they can't go into a coffee shop, sure as sugar, they shouldn't be going to a hospital. And I'm not saying they shouldn't in the sense of approval. I'm just saying, following the logic, we knew it was going there. Right. And
1: uh, the last I checked, I mean, this pandemic is so serious that Quebec is preparing
7: to fire. What is it? 20,000 nurses? Quebec has made the very logical and rational and above all else, scientific decision that understaffed hospitals and hospitals without beds because staff are, are quitting or being fired is less of a risk than having a healthy, unvaccinated healthcare worker work the system. This is how, you know, I tweeted it out the other day that, or might've been today. We're being governed by a dangerous cocktail of incompetence, corruption, and reckless disregard for human life. The government is basically saying it's less dangerous not to have enough hospital beds, not to have enough staff than to have healthy, Unvaccinated staff. These are the same healthcare workers that have been the heroes for the last 18 months, now turned into the villains overnight because the government decided to demonize the unvaccinated. And why? My prediction was they just want to blame the inevitable fourth wave, not on the fact that the vaccines are not as uh, efficient as they thought they would be. They want to blame it on the unvaccinated. And then they're going to blame it on the kids for being vectors. And then they're going to try to impose it on kids age five to 11. I think they're already going there. And now they're moving to third jabs for the seniors. And it's only a matter of time before our vaccination passport is predicated on three jabs, four jabs, whatever it is. When you when you just play it out in your mind over the last two years, two weeks to flatten the curve, masks will never be mandatory. They become mandatory. Vaccination will never become mandatory. It became mandatory. Whatever they're telling you now, you know, it's not going to be the case in two to six months from now, if not earlier. You mentioned the, the second jab, the third jab. Soon it'll be, I don't know, an IV
1: drip. Um what we're what we're heading into, and I, I said this a few months ago, and again, like you, it's not rocket science. You can see where this is headed. Uh, and that is a, a vaccine cast system. So the people that have uh, two vaccines that are feeling high and mighty now in um, in six months when they don't have their third jab and their second booster, they'll be on the outs. Their Vax passport will have expired. Um, what do you think of that idea, a vaccine cast system?
7: I, I, I have referred to them as the unclean, you know, um, hyperbolically, because that is the way uh, the media wants to condition society to view the unvaccinated. They want the they want them to view them as unscientific heretics. Heretics, I forget which heretics, who are you know rebels, selfish, unclean, dangerous to others. When Uh, On the media, they're saying, you know, do you feel safe sitting next to someone who's unvaccinated? And then you have Lester Holt asking Dr. Fauci whether or not there's any risk to passing an unvaccinated person on the street. They are whipping up the fear to create this expectation in uh, the vaccinated that they're safe, they're clean, and they should fear the unvaccinated. I mean, it is a caste system of sorts, and people will start realizing that maybe they shouldn't have gone along with the vaccine passport when they thought they were safe at two jabs. But you're going to have the people who are going to say, yep, sure. Third, fourth, booster, whatever you say. My body is now a receptacle of the state. I mean, that is basically what citizens of this otherwise and hitherto free country have become vessels for whatever the government says goes into your body, failing which you lose your rights. And that's not Canada. I dare say that's not even China. That's not I don't even know that it's North Korea. I don't know what that is, but it is not a Canada that I ever thought would be the case. And yet, lo and behold. Speaking of the elections, 95 percent of Canadians voted for more of this. So maybe it's only a matter of time before they wake up that it has to get sufficiently bad for more people than it has been up until now. We have to hit rock bottom. I thought we had, but apparently... Apparently, we have a ways to fall.
1: David Freiheit stays with us. We'll take a quick time out. Come back. We'll talk about our wonderful military leaders who saw the pandemic as a unique opportunity to uh, test their propaganda techniques on Canadians. Back with more in a minute. Stay with us.
2: You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM.
1: Come back. Before we get back to uh, my conversation with David Fryheit, let me just remind you that I've, uh, well, I've been telling you for quite a while now, what, six months about how the wonderful health products at the North American Herb and Spice uh, Company uh, can boost your immune support. P73 Wild Oregano. And they have drops. They have gel caps. I like the gel caps. They've got powder, even inhalants. North American Herb and Spice has a whole line of wild oregano supplements to support a healthy immune response. P73 wild oregano is available at fine health food stores across the GTA. Uh, if, if you don't happen to find it there, and I would be surprised, you can order it online at oregano.com. And uh, while you're there, visit the website, sign up for their uh, newsletter, the North American Herb and Spice newsletter. And then as an added bonus, you get 5% off when you order online p73 wild oregano for a healthy immune response from north american herb and spice the website once again is oregano.com let me spell that for you o-r-e-g-a-n-o-l 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 oregano.com david Fryheit, aka viva fry on youtube and a former PPC candidate in uh, Montreal area riding. David, I wanted to ask you, this was a, you know, uh, a story that broke, I guess, originally on the National Post or in the National Post about um, it was a plan was devised by the Canadian Joint Operations Command and uh, relied on propaganda techniques similar to those that were employed during the Afghan war. And they saw that the uh, the pandemic here in Canada was a great opportunity to test this on Canadians. Now, it's interesting. I mean, what do they mean by propaganda? Because there's different types of propaganda, right? If 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 uh, I'm you know sitting here and I'm reading a public service announcement, that's kind of propaganda. That's fairly innocuous. You know who I am, and you can decide to believe me or not. Uh, do you know? Do you have any more details? I mean, what kind of
7: propaganda were they? Well, I have no more details except for what I read in the Ottawa Citizen. And I'll just one line from it, I'll quote, which is worth uh, quoting, is they claimed the information operations scheme was needed to head off civil disobedience by Canadians during the coronavirus pandemic and to bolster government messages about the pandemic. And I ironically, but not so ironically, uh, suggested, hypothesized, wouldn't it be hilarious if the trust the science trope was the. Final iteration of what the government decided was the right way to manipulate the public into basically not questioning anything. And for people who don't fully appreciate this, just think about the fact that within two years we have gone from uh, questioning pharmaceutical companies who have historically been ordered to pay Johnson and Johnson, manufacturer of a very interesting new drug, had been ordered to pay Billions, literally, for hiding the fact that it knew its products were causing cancer. And now we are to blindly trust these companies. We are told to blindly trust a government that for over 100 years operated the residential schools for the for the well-being of Canadian citizens. And now we are to trust them blindly. And the military getting involved in this and testing out propaganda techniques on our own citizens as though we are an enemy force or a force that they have to pacify while occupying for anybody to sit here and not question things. uh, I don't know. You know, again, it might just not be bad enough for those individuals yet. But one day they might realize that everything they thought they knew as a fact was, in fact, just the result of the military playing propaganda games on Canadian citizens. I mean, it's you see what's
1: happening in Australia there with with the police and soldiers, you know, rifle butts in people's faces because they wandered 500 feet too far from their house and they didn't check in on their on their phone app. Uh, at least, you know, they're being honest about what they're doing.
7: Right. Well, I I got to say, you know, if anybody thinks that this has been done in Canada but has not been done elsewhere, they are also, you know, I would say naive at best this once, you know, that this has been done by the military in Canada against Canadian citizens. You know that this was mo across uh, all countries and presumably even in Australia, which is why they have subdued the better part of the population into accepting these measures and empowered the police officers to impose these measures. I mean, this doesn't just happen overnight. This is the result of serious manipulation over the course of an extended period of time, as we've seen over the last two years. But it's it's shocking. And if someone doesn't find it shocking, they have just grown accustomed to, to institutionalized corruption.
1: Right, right. I mean, I agree. It happens everywhere. But what we're seeing now in Australia, I think, is the end result. Was Orwell talked about how tyranny relies on fraud or the, and, ina- the inaction of good people? That too. But fraud and force. And once you expose the fraud, they fall back on force. That's where Australia. That's why they're the canary, right? They're a,
7: they're a little bit. They're a few steps ahead of us. They're a few steps ahead of us. We're a few steps behind them. And the U.S. is looking at us. As, as the cha- the natural dominoes in this sequence. And, you know, the Americans are looking to see what happens in Canada, how much Canadians are willing to tolerate. Uh, but, you know, the, our, our ability to, I'll put it in quotes for everybody listening, to fight back, and I say politically, you know, our, our, our means of fighting back are limited. The United States, for good or for bad, have held on to their freedoms and clung to them with uh, the vigor that you cling to God-given rights in a way that Australians, New Zealanders, and Canadians certainly haven't.
1: Right. Well, Australia, once a penal colony, always a penal colony, I guess. Tell us, uh, we just have a few minutes or uh, not about 30 seconds here. Tell us a little bit about the YouTube channel Viva Fry. What's happening?
7: Well, we're breaking down the lawsuits, talking about all things vaccine mandate related, whatever we're allowed to discuss on YouTube, other non-COVID related lawsuits. Uh, It's blossomed into a beautiful community nearing 400,000 subs, over two million views a month and talking all things law in what I think is a nonpartisan objective manner.
1: Fantastic. And that's Viva Fry and Fry is F-R-E-I. Viva Fry. David, always a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. you Anytime. All right. When we come back, we'll uh, we'll talk about homeschooling and why memory work is so important. Ruth Gaskowski joins us straight ahead. Don't go away.
2: Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk Saga 960 AM.
1: All right, welcome back. Well, for the last couple of weeks, we've been sort of breaking down homeschooling into the various cohorts. We, we began with uh, talking about co-ops and, and uh, you know maybe preschoolers and then the early years. Now we're going to talk about, uh, I guess, homeschooling in the elementary years. And uh, if, you're, if you haven't already visited the website, please do so. It's humanitasfamily.net. If you're looking for resources, uh, interesting articles about homeschooling. Please take a moment and visit humanitasfamily.net. And uh, the person who put that all together joins us every Tuesday to talk about homeschooling is a a veteran homeschooler, Ruth Gazgovsky. Ruth, welcome once again. How are you?
8: Very good, Richard. You make me sound old when you use that word. <laughs>
1: oh, uh, let's think of another word then. Um...
8: Experienced.
1: (laughs) Experienced. Yes, absolutely. So uh, you were telling me that when you organize co-ops, whether it's for elementary age children or middle school or even high school students, one of the skills you include in your class is memorization. And I remember as a kid, we always had loads of memory work and I actually enjoyed it. But. Uh, I I mentioned that to my boys. Do you have any memory work, you know, from school? And they say, no, we have Google. What do we need to, you know, memory work? How do you respond to that?
8: Right. Yeah. Uh, People likely say, why bother memorizing anything if you can just carry your exo brain, as I call it, around with you on your phone? It's your exo brain, right? You have it with you at all times. Um, Today, we kind of say, why spend time memorizing if you can just Google it? So memorization scene is outdated. So I, I want to kind of give you a bit of insight here to make you realize or the, the listeners realize how much we are missing by not actually using this gigantic power we have. Uh, one of the memory coaches we follow, uh, he kind of says it's it's as if you have a Ferrari and you don't even know it's standing in your garage and you're not using it. How could you? So um when we think of uh, memorization today it's often disdained we say like rote memorization that's outdated it's old we should be thinking about higher order skills like analyzing and synthesizing but the question is uh, how do you analyze and solve problems without a solid knowledge base so to give you an example when we think of for example expert chess players We might consider them to be analytical thinkers, that they must be just very great at analyzing situations. But studies actually found that's not true. What they have is a vast knowledge base of memorized chess positions. So they use memorization in order to think analytically. So it's not that they have great analytical powers. They have great powers of memorization that they have trained And that uh, memorization really just builds the foundation for analytical thinking. So by skipping this step, we miss out on a huge part because we just assume that students can kind of look things up and that that will be much easier than memorizing things. But what we're doing instead is um, we're not letting them use their working memory to the full capacity because they have no long term store of actual knowledge. And so you waste a lot of time on looking up information that really you should know.
1: That's interesting. I don't have a Ferrari in my garage. I don't know, maybe a, an old beat up VW, but I-
8: st- You do, you just don't know how to access it, Richard.
1: <laughs> no. Even now at my advanced age. Uh, so for example, I don't you know, I don't want to get too sidetracked on this, but I'll set out a, a memory goal for me. And um, a couple of years ago, I decided I was going to because I love baseball, I was going to memorize all of the baseball champions from the inception of the World Series, which was 1903, all the way to the present. And and I still remember. So if you were to ask, pick any date between 1903 and 2020, Ruth.
8: 1977.
1: 1977. Okay, that was the New York Yankees. Try one more. Right. Uh, and 1946, 1946. Uh, that was the St. Louis Cardinals there. Anyway, that. that <laughs>
8: but see, who would know? Because we would have to Google whether you were right, because nobody else knows <laughs> without Google.
1: <laughs> well, All right. Anyway, it's uh, oh, I think actually uh, Jacob is looking it up. I'm right. Yes, there you go. So anyway, that's it's important, even as you get older. So anyway, I digress. So what kind of memorization do you do? for, let's say, um, the elementary years, grade like four to eight?
8: Right. So there's three kinds of memorization we do. One is poetry, and that's a topic all on its own that we could spend a long time talking about because it activates uh, language, knowledge, syntax, cultural, civilization, moral, spiritual knowledge. That's a really deep topic to go into, but that's one thing we do. Poetry, we memorize famous speeches, Uh, by Churchill, by Lincoln, uh, a whole host of famous speeches from uh, beginning to end. And we memorize facts. So, for example, right now um, in my co-op, we're doing chemistry this year. And so students from grade four to grade eight are memorizing the entire periodic table. It's 118 elements, and we're doing it until Christmas. So that might seem like an immense amount of work, given that we know on average we say we can maybe remember seven items plus minus two. And that wouldn't get us very far with the periodic table. But we're using a method – that's called a Lincoln story method. And uh, you can actually check this out on Memorize Academy. I have this on my website. They have the first uh, 20 elements. You can just watch in the video there. And if you're interested, in it, you can go and do the whole 118, um, where each element is li- linked with a really striking image. And that image is connected to the ne- next image in a story method. So it's one continuous story beginning with uh, hydrogen, which is like a hydrant all the way to the 118th element. And this is students in grade four who can do this. So Richard, do it too if you took the time to do it. You can actually do it in about three hours if you sat down from beginning to end to do it. It's a very effective method. And uh, it just really shows the students that they have the capability of doing it and it's a lot of fun and they have a lot of joy in doing it.
1: And they can impress their friends later in life at parties.
8: Yes, for sure. (laughs) Well, I think one of the things that I've most consistently seen is that it produces joy in children when they've mastered something challenging. So how often does a child turn and say, mom, look what Google said, like reading facts from kind of a bottomless pit of information, it doesn't give pride in in achievement in any way. But when you recite like the periodic table, or you give a speech by Lincoln, or you recite a, a poem by Longfellow, that creates a sense of personal pride and achievement.
1: So true. Does any other? Does it translate into any other real life value?
8: Yeah, um, we can go on. Well, at our age, <laughs> one of the things that memorization uh, translates into is um, just a better mental health. Um, it can uh, typically cognitive decline. It can hold it off by seven to fourteen years. Memorization practice. It actually translates into creativity, which is interesting because people might think, well, memorization doesn't make you creative, but it actually produces higher creativity. And um, it just saves a lot of brain power because the more you know, the freer you are to actually think critically and to analyze.
1: Fantastic. And uh, that um, that link to that website on memory is at uh, humanitasfamily.net, and there's just a treasure trove of great resources there humanitasfamily.net ruth you're always such full value thank you so much thanks richard talk to you next week all right hour two awaits we'll have the german idiom of the day news not in the news and uh uh New Blue MPP for Cambridge, Belinda Carahalios, will talk about why she believes vaccine passports, vaccine mandates are a form of systemic racism. And our good friend, Dr. Peter mccullough a board certified cardiologist, here uh, as well, on a recent FDA meeting that uh, I want you to hear all about. Stay tuned. That's coming up in hour two. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management.
2: The Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM.
1: All right, welcome to hour two. Belinda Carajalios, new Blue MPP for Cambridge, will be here. Systemic racism. That's what she's calling vaccine passports and vaccine mandates. Uh, I mentioned earlier, I'm always a little skeptical of that term. I think it's overused when everything is systemic racism. Nothing is. But in this case, she may have a point. We'll we'll discuss that. Also, her um, her private members bill that uh, she introduced, I think
0: it's been a couple of years now, uh, which is basically to. is running out this message is paid for by lines for fair and equitable policy
1: reintroduce transparency into interprovincial uh, party uh, politics uh because it's the wild west there's nothing in the law the police have no jurisdiction nothing in the law to prevent uh an internal party election from being fraudulent from them stuffing ballot boxes uh, so the, uh, the Ford government, I guess, has officially killed that they were considering it or they wanted us to believe they were considering it. So Belinda Karajalios will be here to talk about that. And then, uh, Dr. Peter McCullough board certified cardiologist. Well, <laughs> that, that doesn't do him justice. I think he's, uh, the most published cardiologist in history. Uh, he'll be here to tell us about, well, I was, um, playing some testimony from a recent FDA advisory committee hearing back uh, on September the 17th. And they had what they call an open session where anybody, doctors, other healthcare professionals, other people could call in with their testimony. And uh, one of them was a, um, a Silicon Valley tech entrepreneur, and uh, he was citing some statistics that basically said, when you break down the data, vaccines are actually killing more people than they're saving. So I thought, wow, that's pretty strong. Any any validity to that? So I thought we'd go to the doctor that I trust, Doctor Peter McCullough. He's coming up later as well.
2: News not in the news. News.
1: All right, now Lou. Not to belabor the point, I was talking about these monkeys that are beating the market. I found. Does an, it
3: involve Richard Gere at all, or <laughs> that was yesterday? Oh, yesterday.
1: The, the ground. No, the the jerk. This was the hamster that. Uh, oh, the hamster. Crypto hamster that was beating Warren Buffett in the S and P 500, and then uh, earlier I was talking about the uh, Brazilian cinnamon cebus monkey. And the the, uh, the six the, the six year old chimpanzee named Raven, uh, I just I found one more, and then I'll leave it alone, and I promise that that'll be it. Uh, Orlando the cat, Orlando the cat. This goes back to a uh, 2013. Um, the London Observer decided to have a cat named Orlando pick stocks against a team of professionals. These were stock picking professionals, and uh, also some students. Each team invested five thousand pounds into five companies. From the ftse is that i guess that's the stock market in london
3: right the financial times right
1: Ah, okay so five thousand pounds into five companies every few months they could exchange the stocks replace them with others and while the professionals use decades of investing knowledge traditional stock picking methods the cat selected stocks by throwing his favorite toy mouse on a grid of numbers allocated to different companies Uh, When it was all said and done, Orlando, the cat managed to have an average return of four point two percent to end the year with about five thousand five hundred pounds compared to the professionals at about five thousand two hundred pounds. So the cat out invested them. That's it. That's all I'm going to say.
3: Okay, we'll leave it at that. You know, uh, you were talking in the last uh, time we were together about extended audio tape that you were playing on the show. Right. So I have uh, an ongoing discussion with my daughter, Madeline, and I usually send her articles and I sent her an article to read. And her response to me via email was T.L.D.R. Are you familiar with that?
1: T.L.D.R. Too long. Didn't read. Correct. Correct.
3: So I thought, you know, I started I I had no idea and she informed me of it. I mean, I guess you're you're more in tune to the uh, acronyms in the digital space than I am. And uh, so I thought in light of your concern about like TLDL, too long, didn't listen. Ah. TLDW, too long, didn't watch.
1: Very good. Very good. So it
3: depends on your demographic that you're trying to communicate with. Mm -hmm. And as we know, in talk radio, right, which skews to an older demo, don't go chasing those youngins. It's all too it's all too much for them.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Right. Well, you know, I I probably should pare down the length of some of these.
3: Well, I don't know. I mean, think of Joe Rogan. He'll go three hours with somebody. Right. That's a pretty long listen.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I I hope that what I'm offering up in terms of these clips is worthwhile. I think it is. I think, you know, there's some some pretty uh, important pieces of audio that we play on the show from time to time. All right. Shall we get to the German idiom of the day? Absolutely. All right. I'm kind of excited about this one. <laughs> Jacob, if you please. Mit Kannen auf Spatzen Schießen. Mit Kannen auf Spatzen Schießen. Mit Kannen auf Spatzen Schießen.
3: I tell you, the expressions on your face really <laughs> make it. It's too bad this is an audio medium, but someday we'll go to, you know, a uh, you know a YouTube channel or something like that, and people can enjoy all of it, not just the audio, but the visual as well.
1: Right. Well, I've never felt more German. You know what it is? It's the Spatzen Schießen. Just. <laughs> Tetonic. And, you know,
3: I I think you could also, like, put it together like one of those, uh, you know, get rid of the wrinkles type of exercises.
1: It's true. I am giving my embouchure a workout. <laughs> uh, the literal translation is to shoot cannons at sparrows to shoot cannons at sparrows. Any idea what the the English meaning is?
3: Well, I think it would be something like, you know, using too, uh, too, uh, too much force against too little resistance.
1: Right, exactly. So in one word, overkill.
3: Oh, okay, there you go. I like it. Auf
1: Spatzen schießen, to
3: shoot. I don't know if I can remember that one, but it's good.
1: <laughs> All right. Uh, what did I want it to Oh, I want to ask you... Um, I think I mentioned this a couple of times. This October, there's kind of a plebiscite or a, a referendum happening to coincide with the uh, municipal elections in Alberta. And um, they're going to vote on whether to abolish, or they're going to be asked whether they want to abolish equalization payments. Because Alberta, of course, pays and pays and pays. Uh, basically to subsidize Quebec's, you know, $6 a day daycare. (laughs) And understandably, they're getting a little ornery about that. So a new Canadian Taxpayer Federation campaign is basically urging Albertans to vote yes to abolish equalization payments to have not provinces, Uh, which could set in play, I think, uh, maybe a path to separation for Alberta, because you know what the feds are going to say. We don't care. Continue to pay. And then Albertans will then have to decide: Well, should we stay or should we go? To quote the Clash.
3: Well, uh, I I think it's a you know uh, a basis for an argument, right? So you get the plebiscite out there, you get the public behind you, and then you follow down the path. You can't just cut off payments, right? There are agreements in place, but those agreements have to have a sunset clause at some point, right? right. Like they're not in perpetuity.
1: Well, the thing is, I mean, Alberta, it was fine when Alberta, you know, not even fine then, but you could you could at least say, well, Alberta was running huge surpluses because they were, you know, they they were they were uh, managing their money and they were, you know, tremendous revenue coming in from the oil patch. But they're running deficits now, as far as I know, Uh, they're bleeding. And so how can they justify Alberta having to pay and to pay and to pay to Quebec?
3: Yeah. So let them go through the process of the plebiscite and see where that takes us. And, yeah, I think it would be the right thing to do to say, you know what, we're done uh, subsidizing your fantasy and we're going to move on and see where that path takes us. Right. It's right. kind of like Texas, you know, wanting to, uh, you know, uh, be part of the United States, even though it was an independent country. Part, it, it wanted to be part of the United States, but it had to free itself from Mexico first.
1: Right. right so right. we'll see how it all goes. Right. They are a colony of a colony, um, although I don't see that happening under Jason Kenney. I, I think his uh, days
3: are numbered. I don't think he's got legs to go much further. He should resign and let Trudeau give him his political plum, because that's really what it comes down to. Right.
1: Right. Right. William Shatner, age 90 is going into space the legendary star trek actor set to become the oldest person ever to venture into space next month according to reports captain kirk himself will be one of the passengers aboard the next civilian flight of jeff bezos new shepherd spacecraft when it launches in october wow 90 and he's going into space i mean it's all you knew when you would say no i'm not going to do it i wouldn't try it
3: well it depends like i don't know why he's going for the 15-minute ride when he could go across the street to uh, elon musk and do a three-day you know multiple orbit flight right uh musk and spacex just had a bunch of uh, civilians up in his aircraft right or his spacecraft right
1: well they're doing a three-day orbit
3: well that's what uh musk was doing and they recovered. Nobody came out of it any worse for wear. So the 15 minute ride or the three day ride, I guess it depends on who's uh, whose deal that Captain Kirk is getting. So you remember when Kirk was the spokesperson for Travelocity? I think it was.
1: Yes. I think he created that, didn't he?
3: I'm not sure, but he made a swag loaded dough promoting tra- a travel site back during the uh the dot com bubble days, if you recall. Right. So I am sure he's not lending his celebrity to uh, Bezos just for a lift.
1: Right. In other words, it's a big payday.
3: Don't worry, me. Absolutely. You
1: know, I, I have the uh, the honor and distinction of being called an idiot by William Shatner recently. No, this is going back about fifteen years ago when I was producing a morning show at another station. And he was doing the rounds, and he uh, was—it was like prostate health awareness, or no, it was colon colon health awareness month. And he was promoting some some high fiber cereal. So he came in, and uh, you know, he was talking up the the the, the benefits of this this cereal, and it had you know bran, and it had oats, and it had. And I said, "Geez, uh, William, that sounds like something you'd feed to the winner of the Queen's Plate." (laughs) He said, "No, it's not, you idiot." So I have that. No one can take that away from me. I got called an idiot by Captain Kirk.
3: Yeah, I had him blow me off. I was producing some segments uh, for a cable 10 show. And he was there at a celebrity skiathon at uh, Sunshine Village. And yeah, he didn't really I was asking him some questions and he didn't like them. And he just basically blew me off. And I said, well, that's fine. See you later. Oh, we'll go talk to Dr. Ruth.
1: She gave you plenty of time. Oh, yeah. such a nice lady. All right. You have a great night. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Okay, can't wait. Happy capitalism. Happy capitalism. Belinda Carajalios, new blue MPP for Cambridge. Why vaccine passports are a form of systemic racism. That story next.
2: Welcome back to The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM.
1: passports vaccine mandates as a form of systemic racism. It's an interesting argument I'm, I mentioned before. I'm, I'm kind of, in general, skeptical of that term, systemic racism. It it can be overused. It is overused. But in this case, let's just think about it for a bit. Well, let's let's get new blue party MPP for Cambridge, Belinda Karajalios, in here to uh, help us think about it. Belinda, how are you?
9: I'm really well, Richard. Thank you. How are you?
1: I'm well, thank you. All right, so the argument. Let's let's make the argument that vaccine passports. Are we including vaccine mandates in this as well? Are forms of systemic racism?
9: So let's stick with the passports, right? Just because okay. this is like the top of mind thing. So we know it's affecting a dis- disproportionate um, a number of Black Canadians. So let's look in earlier in the year, for example. Uh, Stats Canada uh, on COVID, they said that seventy-seven percent of Black Canadians were very unlikely to take the vaccine, the COVID va- the vaccination, the COVID vaccination, whether it's the Moderna, the Pfizer, whatever it is, right? And now you have Doug Ford and the PC government implementing these vaccine passports, saying that if you don't have the vaccine, or maybe you just don't want to show the fact that you've taken the vaccination, because some people don't want to share their private medical information. Now these individuals cannot access cinemas, they cannot access... Uh, change rooms for their children if their kids want to go play sports, but that's a whole other issue that I could get into and talk forever about. They can't access indoor dining, they can't access gyms. And so these people are now being turned away. You've got two classes of citizens. Uh, and when you, we have a large number of Black Canadians not getting the vaccine, whether for, you know, they're vaccine hesitant, maybe they're not comfortable with the rules, whatever it is, now you're um, segregating them from doing regular, everyday things that they should be allowed to do.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Um, I mean, I I know that the uh, the vaccine hesitant and I saw this data It was published in McLean's magazine by Abacus and said that 25 percent of the unvaccinated or the vaccine hesitant, I think that is the term, 25 percent are immigrants and people of color. Right. uh, Which is interesting. So they've really uh, they have been, as you say, they've been. It's kind of a double whammy, not necessarily COVID itself, but the reaction, because let's you know, it, when you look at um, I, I don't I don't want to generalize here, but new arrivals come to this country, maybe people of color, maybe not. But immigrants, often they their first jobs are in the service industries. So those were obviously hit very hard with the lockdowns closed down. So those people didn't have jobs to go to. Uh, and now they're being hit again with these passports, these vaccine passports. And it was very distressing to hear. Prime Minister Trudeau refer to them, them as those people, and he was referring to all of the unvaccinated, but included in that group were obviously people of color immigrants. He referred to them as those people. Um, so, there may, you know, maybe there is something to this argument that this is a form of systemic racism.
9: Well, the other thing is like, you know, you talk about the 25% immigrants um, and people of color. Well, I think about the Polish community, right? They that, That's, that's I would say a lot of the people that I speak to are from the Polish community. There is a mistrust with government among that community. And that's just because of their history, right? Like they, they dealt with a lot of um, unfortunate history for people coming from Poland. And so you're asking uh, these individuals who have this history behind them, to to implicitly trust government saying, you know, especially a government that's lied to us repeatedly over the last 18 months. Oh, it's two weeks. It's just one lockdown. It's two. It's three. It's till we get 75 percent vaccination. Now it's into the 90s. Now we got to get your kids vaccinated five years. Like, you know, they've been lying to us for the last 18 months. And so you look at, you know, we'll say the Polish community again. Is it any wonder that there's hesitancy there? And then, like you said, with Trudeau, um, instead of listening to people, uh, people are being shamed and they're being labeled as anti-vaxxers and conspiracy theorists and and what other else uh, they're doing. And when people start using labels to describe another group of people, it's because they don't actually have a, a real argument that they can sit on. There's nothing else they can say. So they, they resort to name calling and labeling. They don't want to acknowledge what these people are going through.
1: Belinda Carajalios, new blue MPP for the riding of Cambridge. Did I read uh, that the speaker at Queen's Park basically wants a VAX passport for the legislature? So in other words, if you're a sitting MPP and you you don't have proof of vaccination, you won't be able to sit in the legislature.
9: So what he did was that he decided and there was no vote about this. There was no discussion. He decided on his own that i um, all MPPs would, ha- and their staff, and anyone who works on the legislative precinct, would have to show proof of full vaccination. It had to be 14 days post double vax, um, or uh, proof of a medical exemption. And um, if you had a medical exemption to not take it, or if you didn't want to disclose or didn't take the vaccine, then you would have to show uh, proof of a negative rapid antigen test within the last 48 hours. Um, And that would come out of the the staff member or the MPP's pocket. And it's interesting how many restrictions they're putting on elected representatives. So first it was uh, the unanimous consent motion that the PCs put through saying that members had to don a tightly fitted cloth mask in order to sit in the legislature and to vote. Uh, and there was no uh, room there for there to be ex- ex- exemptions. They, they didn't say that unless there was an exemption. So people who can't wear or are or, or unable to, whatever the case is, it was either wear your mask or you can't do your job, and your your constituents won't have a voice for the next. It turned out to be a year, um, and now they're they're just moving <clears throat> the pendulum over more. And now they're saying, "Well, yeah, we're going to do the masks, we're going to do the screening, we're going to do the distancing and the sanitizing." But now, now you got to show us that you have double vaccination as well.
1: All right. It's uh, this is very distressing, to say the least. Belinda, stay put. We'll come back. And uh, I want to talk about uh, your Ensuring Transparency and Integrity in Political Party Elections Act, which was, uh, I guess, this month, finally kiboshed by the uh, radical progressive government of Doug Ford. This was your private members bill. We'll discuss that on the other side with Belinda Carajalio. Stay with us.
2: The Bull Session continues on The Richard Sarah Show. News Talk Saga 960 AM
1: new blue mpp belinda carahalios is uh, with us so two years ago belinda you introduced a private member's bill ensuring transparency and integrity in political party elections and um it kind of sat in committee for quite a while and i guess formally this month the ford government basically killed it right so um First of all, just explain to people uh, fairly quickly what that uh, transparency and integrity in political party elections act intended to do.
9: So it's it would have been the well, it was the first piece of legislation proposed in, in Canadian history to combat voter fraud and in internal political party elections. So currently in, in Ontario and, and well, across the entire province, um, there are no laws around your internal political party elections. So um, what those are is when you, the person that you vote for in a general election, um, that person has usually been selected um, in a nomination meeting. So you buy a party memberships and you go and you you choose among different people who want to try to throw their hat in the ring to be the MPP for whatever riding. And so right now, or, and because my, my bill was, was killed by Doug Ford and the PCs, if you faked one's voter information, you voted more than once, if there was any ballot stuffing, uh, whether it be in a candidate nomination or a leadership race, um, even if the police found evidence of fraud, as the case with Hamilton West, Ancaster, Dundas, where they actually found fraud, they can't do anything. So my bill would have created various offenses against this and required political parties to publicly report um, their election results. And so very similar to what we already do for our general elections, um, I was asking that we make laws to make them apply for internal party elections.
1: Right, right. So if like the uh, the conservative party leadership when I was a conservative, and let's say I wanted Max Bernier to be the leader. Mm -hmm. And so I voted for him. And I'm not saying this happened, maybe it did, maybe it didn't. That those uh, individuals, let's say, in the back room, that run the party, didn't want Max to be leader. They wanted Andrew Shear to be leader. Mm-hmm. And so they stuffed the ballot boxes, allegedly.
9: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and so Andrew Shear won, Max lost, allegedly. That's the way it may have happened. And I were to complain to the police, there's nothing they can do about it.
9: That's exactly it. So a great example is in 2018, when uh, Jim ran for party PC party president, November of 2018, there were uh, more ballots cast than people who voted at the PC convention for the executive election. And, you know, you contact the police, you contact Elections Ontario, and they both say there is nothing we can do about it because there is no laws governing what goes on in internal party elections. So Jim currently has a lawsuit against the Ontario PC party for that election. Uh, and that's um, that's still before the courts.
1: That seems almost unbelievable in a supposedly mature Western liberal democracy that there are no laws preventing cheating and fraud in an internal political party election. It just I mean, is that just for Ontario or is that, do you know, is that across the country?
9: that's across the country that no one has any laws governing this and what's scary and i people like think about it the person that is going to go on on a ballot for a general election who could potentially have power and influence over your everyday lives if they get into that spot because of, of them allowing or being part of corruption that uh, to, to get them there? Like, think about that. Do you really want that person to be in a position of power making rules? Like, I mean, we've got the corrupt PCs and look what's happening in our province right now. We've got 18 months of almost a dictatorship. So like it, it matters. Like we should have rules around this. And the PCs were not interested. So, you know, it died at committee. And now that the legislature was prorogued, it's compl- it's been deep sixed It's done.
1: And w- w- would you have gotten any support from the NDP or the Liberals on this? Would they be interested in cleaning up this mess or are they all in cahoots?
9: Well, that was actually the funny thing. So I had support from the Liberal caucus. What if you want to call them that because they're small. Uh, The NDPs were in support. Uh, The Green Party was in support. It was only the PC party that came out right from the get go saying, no, we're not going to support this. And then at the very last minute when we were doing second reading, they turned around and said, yeah, we'll support it. We're going to push it to committee, uh, but we're going to put an opt-out clause because apparently with the PC party, you can opt out of democracy.
1: (laughs) Yeah. What are they hiding? Interesting. (laughs) Interesting. All right, Belinda, thank you so much. I appreciate your time as always.
9: Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure.
1: Belinda Carajalios, new blue MPP for the riding of Cambridge. So are COVID-19 vaccines killing more people than they're saving? That seems outrageous, right? But that was brought up in a recent FDA advisory hearing during an open session. And uh, I thought, wow, let's find more about that, more about that. So we're going to go to a doctor that I trust. Coming up next, Dr. Peter McCullough, board certified cardiologist, will be here to discuss. Stay with us.
2: Just having a little chin wag on The Richard Sartre Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM.
1: Played some audio from an FDA advisory meeting that took place back on September the 17th. And there was an, what they call an open session. So you had other doctors, not part of the FDA advisory committee, calling in, expressing their concerns. We heard from an emergency room physician from New Orleans who talked about the need for larger uh, clinical trials in order to, I guess, assuage the concerns of the vaccine hesitant. And he went into great detail and and great pains to explain that in his experience, the vaccine hesitant no more about risk benefit in terms of the vaccines then they're giving given credit for is that they know what the risks and the benefits are. Uh, and it's hard to argue with a 30 year old woman who comes in uh, and says I, a nurse, no less, who has seen people die from COVID uh, and explain that she's not interested in the vaccine. She doesn't need it because her risk of ending up in on a COVID ward For, you know, a three-month stay, a a 90-day stay is like one in 7,000. And she's not wrong, this doctor went on to say. And then we heard from Stephen Kirsch, a Silicon Valley tech entrepreneur, CEO of a group called M10. And he started something called the COVID-19 Early Treatment Fund because repurposed drugs, he says, are fastest and they're the cheapest way to end the pandemic. But he also said... And this came up, I I believe it was uh, Stephen Kirsch, that according to the data, vaccines are killing more people than they're saving. I thought, whoa, could that possibly be true? Does the data actually support such a statement as that? So I thought we'd bring in a doctor that I happen to trust very much. And that would be board certified cardiologist, Dr. Peter McCullough, who's been on with us probably four or five times and. It's great to have you back on again, Dr. McCullough. How are you?
6: Well, thanks for having me, Richard.
1: So uh, that FDA advisory meeting, I believe that was the one where the FDA voted 16 to 2 against these boosters and then they were overruled by the CDC anyway, if I have that correct?
6: The September 17th FDA meetings with Pfizer that did not approve the boosters, I think will go down in history. And you mentioned some of the scientific presenters that made compelling cases on really some important issues. Uh, One of the first issues is that um, the uh, that if one uh, takes one of the messenger RNA vaccines, the chances of being hospitalized with myocarditis are higher than taking your chances and potentially getting COVID and being hospitalized with COVID. So the chances are worse with the vaccine for heart injury, myocarditis, and it takes a lot to be hospitalized with that. The second analysis that you pointed out is that with a mortality death across all age groups, that the chances of dying with the vaccine are greater than taking your chances of potentially running into COVID and then dying with COVID. And we know if patients get COVID, those over 50 uh, who need treatment, early treatment reduces that risk of mortality even to a much greater extent. So these analyses have been done. Costoff and colleagues now has published this that mortality is higher. Those the risk of the immediate risk of death and more with vaccines is higher than taking your chances with COVID. And Hogue and colleagues from University of California, Dave has published the myocarditis risk hospitalization greater than that of COVID hospitalization. So it's clear those who do not want the vaccine have weighed it, weighed it out and they have made a decision that they would rather take their chances with the vaccine. And if people get hospitalized who have taken the vaccine, who have not taken the vaccine, They're unvaccinated. They get hospitalized. That's perfectly fine. They've made their choice. They've made an intelligent choice. They did not take the risk of death with a vaccine being hospitalized after the vaccine, which has happened in over a quarter million. Americans have either been hospitalized, had urgent care visits or office visits, and they haven't ended up permanently disabled. We've had over 20,000 Americans being permanently disabled with the vaccine. If they take their choices and they get hospitalized with COVID, that's their choice. They deserve high quality care, get out of the hospital, return to work.
1: Oh, uh, is it a are we able to quantify how many lives are saved by the vaccine? And, and if so, how? How is that calculated?
6: There was an analysis by uh, Wallach and colleagues that came up with a number of uh, in order to save three lives with the vaccine and heavy COVID exposure, you'd have to actually lose two lives with the vaccine. Uh, Whatever it is, uh, Canadians and Americans, they have no appetite of losing their life at the end of an injection needle. They're not gonna do it. And uh, the bottom line is we need to drop these mandates. The vaccines aren't sufficiently safe. They don't work well enough to have mandates and we need to move on with early treatment and close out the pandemic. Uh,
1: Dr. McCullough, just stay put. We'll uh, take a quick time. I'll come back and uh, discuss for one further segment. Dr. Peter McCullough, board certified cardiologist right here on The Richard Serrett Show. Don't go away.
2: Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960
1: AM. We are back with Dr. Peter McCullough, board certified cardiologist. Uh, We were talking about this FDA meeting in which they voted against uh, booster shots, the Pfizer booster, 16 to 2. Why then, I guess this is a rhetorical question uh, in part, but why would then the CDC overrule the FDA, particularly when it was such a lopsided uh, decision, 16 to 2?
6: The the CDC and the FDA, they don't issue rulings. Uh, they are public health agencies, so they can make recommendations, so for instance, the FDA may may uh, approve or not approve an osteoporosis drug. The CDC may not have a recommendation or have a recommendation in terms of public health implementation. So the CDC doesn't have a hierarchy over the FDA and the FDA doesn't over the CDC. The FDA is largely there on drug safety and we just didn't have the safety or the efficacy for the Pfizer booster and what the CDC says with respect to implementation is separate.
1: Ah, but it, it it would appear as if the the Biden administration and maybe even uh, up here in Canada seem to be siding with the CDC. Um, so I guess maybe that's the, the question then. Why would governments side with the CDC and their guidance on this rather than the FDA that voted 16 to two against booster?
6: The public program for vaccination is actually sponsored by the CDC and FDA jointly. So when someone signs the consent form, that's what it says on it. That's the CDC FDA program. So they should be in agreement with one another. And I think Americans and Canadians would expect that they shouldn't have division. And if it's clear, 16 to 2, no boosters. Uh, they, They had insufficient data for people over 65. So even that was a conjecture. At this point in time, the public should take uh, note of the uh, experts, the experts weighed in, no boosters, m- m- insufficient data on efficacy, uh, very alarming data on safety and and move on. Uh, other types of opinions are going to come out. People are going to disagree. Some people may strongly feel in favor of the vaccines. Others will feel uh, against the vaccines. Some will be neutral. But the, the meeting stands as it is.
1: I want to go back to the uh, the data on myocarditis. Healthy boys... Uh, more likely to be admitted to a hospital with a, a rare side effect. Um, in fact, four to six times more likely to be diagnosed with vaccine-related myocarditis than ending up in hospital with COVID over a four-month period. Now, this is a, this was an earlier study, but I think I heard in that FDA meeting someone talk about a much larger cohort regarding myocarditis, all the way up to age 60. Did I hear that correctly? What is the, what is the risk? For, let's say, people from, I don't know, 12 to 60. Do we know with myocarditis? The
6: the vaccine program has not had complete assessment of myocarditis. That means everybody would need an EKG, cardiac troponin, uh, cardiac echo, some type of exam. So all we have is spontaneously reported cases. In June, when the CDC and FDA looked at this, we had 200 cases that they thought And they use the term rare, which is um, I think that's dismissive, because unless you check everybody for it, you don't know if it's rare. And sure enough, I was right, because now we have over 5000 cases in the United States that have been verified by the CDC, and I've reported some. So I know exactly what I'm talking about. I can tell you it's not rare. We should consider this tip of the iceberg. We should. The FDA has warned Americans on Pfizer and Moderna on myocarditis. We now know based on the analysis from the University of California, Davis, The risks are higher with myocarditis being hospitalized. That's serious. That means chest pain, uh, heart muscle injury, heart failure. We're talking a serious hospitalization. The chances are, are more likely to be hospitalized with myocarditis, be damaged by the vaccine than actually taking your chances with COVID itself. And remember, COVID itself, even in younger people, if they have severe symptoms, it's easily treated.
1: I often hear now in in newspaper or read in newspaper reports and hear, oh, it's, it's it was a mild case of myocarditis.
6: Is there such a thing as a mild case of heart inflammation? We have several sets of guidance documents in cardiology. We never take it as mild because we know that the heart can fail over time. So uh, our guidelines say take it seriously. Uh, We prescribe drugs to prevent the development of heart failure they are called beta blockers or another class of drugs called RAS inhibitors. We get EKG, troponin uh, and uh, cardiac echocardiography, and we repeat them. They should not have uh, high degrees of physical activity during treatment for myocarditis until it resolves. You know, my clinical experience so far with the vaccine it has been about three months to resolution. I would not call these mild. When we have something serious that comes out with a brand new technology, the worst thing that we can do is assume that it's mild and assume it's okay and then have people become injured later on. That's a recipe for disaster. In data safety monitoring, we always take these seriously.
1: I hope the father who lost his son after a COVID jab back in April, uh, er- Ernesto um, Ramirez, I believe, And um, beautiful boy, 16, otherwise healthy, loved baseball and uh, died about 10 days after getting uh, the autopsy showed his heart was twice its normal size. Uh, I mean, we talk about heart inflammation, but heart enlarging to twice its normal size. Have you heard of any other similar cases?
6: Yes, there's been some other autopsies reported and it's the same finding. So when the heart becomes uh, inflamed and the vaccine uh, studs the heart with uh, adenoviral or a messenger RNA, And then the spike protein starts to be produced within heart muscle cells. It's very abnormal. It's expressed on the cell surface. The body attacks its own heart muscle cells. The heart muscle cells start to die and become necrotic. And then the heart begins to dilate and take on fluid edema. And so the heart weight increases and the heart size increases. And at the very end, the child or young person either suffers a heart failure death or a sudden arrhythmic uh, form of sudden cardiac death. And then that's it. That's the end of life. So myocarditis is fatal and can be fatal and should be taken seriously.
1: Now they're talking about vaccines for five to 11 year olds. Your thoughts?
6: Not supportable. Young individuals have a very mild um, cases of COVID-19, usually a day or two less than a common cold, and they can get out of it. It's very easily treated if there's severe symptoms with inhaled uh, steroids, azithromycin, oral steroids, uh, fever control. And uh, there should be never be a reason why a child would take a vaccine for such a mild viral syndrome. Uh, and at this point in time, you can see even uh, for the current age ranges under the emergency use authorization, the, um, the risk to benefit ratio is not favorable. The younger age group we go, the more unfavorable that equation will become.
1: In the face of all of this, you would think that the, the default position would be caution. Uh, and yet, uh, public health officials, our, our elected representatives, are, are madly off in the exact opposite direction, with almost it seems like reckless abandon. What what is happening here? Why are, are, are why is science and and data being shoved aside in this headlong rush to achieve one hundred percent vaccination?
6: Medicine is both an art and a science, an art and a science, and the overarching principles are to use clinical judgment and above all, do no harm. So now's the time for the most expert and wise and circumspect and cautious physicians to really weigh in and give judgment to our leaders Uh, At this point in time, it is absolutely dangerous to our population to have recklessness in the decisions without having medical jurisprudence, without having a very careful review of the data by independent experts and getting team based decisions on how to move forward. If there's an FDA meeting and a team and listening to expert presenters uh, gives the final word, no approval for boosters, we need to leave it there and move on the same thing with uh, children. Let's see experts come to the table and start to carefully review both the art and science involved with respect to vaccines.
1: Dr. Peter McCullough, I appreciate it. I know you're very busy. Thank you for your time. All the thank best. you. All right. Wow. That's for me my thanks to jody jacob and brandon i'll be back tomorrow god willing to do it all over again the irascible but lovable lou will uh, push back against uh, the global warming cultists and people's party leader max bernier will be here to reveal the future of his movement the brian crombie hour is next i'll speak to you tomorrow at four don't be late until then i remain unbowed unbent unbroken